I want to thank Mary for leading us this morning. And thank you all for worshiping the Lord today. Um, I guess one of the joys in my life is um, to hear young people ask questions. And they ask all kinds of questions. Uh, on the Crosswave team, we have uh, a time where they can ask questions. And uh, I'll, I'll try to answer them the next meeting. So um, one of the questions we got recently is, um, how can God love sinners and betrayers? We, we talk a lot about the love of God in, in the Christian world. And we use those Greek words um, you're familiar with about phileo and agape and these sorts of different types of love. But how can you love somebody that's betrayed you? How can you really love your neighbor? Does anybody want to know? <laughs> yes, no, yeah, somebody. I mean, that's what we're called to, right? We're called to love our neighbor. But how does how does a perfectly holy and just God love someone? Um, what I've some of these words um, may sound strange here this morning. But what I've discovered, it's a common misunderstanding to think that God only expresses one type of love to all people equally and universally the same. In the Bible, God reveals several types of way that God reveals different expressions of his love. There are two of them that do extend to every person unconditionally. Sinners and betrayers and righteous people, if there are any, the same. Now, God wishes blessedness on all of his creation. He, he, he's kind. And he extends his common grace to every person. This blessedness, he wants people to live in peace. He wants them to... Enjoy the life that he's made. He, he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. He's all about life. God is all about life. And this type of love that God extends to every person, the theologians label it benevolence. Say that with me. Benevolence. A lot of churches have benevolence committees where they, they do kind things for people. This love is universal from God and it extends to every person, every Peruvian, every Russian, every Ukrainian, everybody from every place. He extends this love to every person. Even to evil men and devils. It's hard to think about. It's not dependent on the character of the person. It doesn't depend on whether they're good or bad or their character. It doesn't depend on their actions. It's shown towards the innocent people and guilty people. This love of benevolence. God, he wants them to live in blessedness. Why would God ever want that? Because God is benevolent. He is love. 
the hap- that the happiness God wishes for his creatures is not necessarily experienced by his creatures is not due to any fault of, of God. He wishes blessedness upon them, but they can't receive it because they don't want to receive it. Now, these are questions that I get from Crosswave kids. Henry's age and older and even younger. This is what this is what this generation is thinking about. How can God love them? The New Testament confirms that God extends his goodwill towards all humanity, even though it also tells us that every person is a sinner and many people only disobey God's commandments all the time. So God's love of benevolence is shown in his goodwill towards all people. Jesus taught this in Matthew 5, um, this aspect of God's love in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Listen to this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds like today's world, right? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Okay, so there's a war going on. There's a physical war in Ukraine. There is a cultural war going on everywhere else, including the United States. We've only killed 62 million babies by abortion in the last almost 50 years. And if the United States is about 4% of the world's population, you can multiply that number by 25 and you get some astronomical number of like 1.3 billion, probably 1.3 billion unborn children have been murdered in their mother's wombs only since the last 50 years. And yet God, stay with me here, God still wishes blessedness on these people. And he, he extends benevolent love to these people. Can you grasp a, just a, a, a taste of the patience of God? Can you? When the benevolent love of God is expressed in giving good things to his creatures, we call it, there's another big word, beneficence. Think of gifts like life and the sun and light and air to breathe and plants and fragrances and animals and water and temperate weather and families and friends and taste buds and all of these things that God gives to every person the same. So by his benevolence, God wishes people blessedness and happiness. And by his beneficence, he confers blessings to make them happy. He does this unconditionally. Both the wicked and the righteous. Do you think Adolf Hitler enjoyed a good meal? Of course he did. God even would bless a man such as that with the ability to enjoy his life. It's, it's, it's hard to grasp 
And maybe it comes out of Habakkuk <laughs> about the wicked and the innocent, how God works all this together. But God unconditionally confers these blessings and extends, extends this benevolent type of love to both the wicked and the righteous. Matthew, the next couple of verses in Matthew 5. For if he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike, if you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Even pagans are kind to their friends. You see, in a world that we live in, this is this is a life changing, a life changing understanding. How do we love our enemies? I didn't know that y'all would be here today. And I I'm grieved over what's going on in Ukraine. But I want to understand what God's saying. God's love of benevolence is his good will towards all creatures. God's love of beneficence is his good action towards all creatures. These both these laws are absolutely unconditional. The only criteria to receive this type of love from God is that you exist. You exist. This is not some sort of cheap love. This is not a second rate love. This is pure love from the God who is love. He, he calls himself, I am the God, the God is love in the scriptures. And this is his natural expression because he is a God of love. It's a natural expression of his care and concern without any regard for the worthiness of the receiver. God can love me like this whether I'm worthy of it or not because he is a God of love. You can tell every person that you meet, God loves you because he does. He does. I had this question as a follow-up question from Crossway. So, if they said, if God loves every everyone equally, this is from a girl, then why should I feel special? Think about that. If God loves all of us equally, then why should I feel any specialness for this love of God? It's the same for everybody. What's so special about the love of God if he loves everybody the same? I mean, if God would love... I'll use Hitler again with his benevolent love and he loves me with that kind of love. Are you sure you want that kind of love? That, that he would love us both the same? So a clarifying question is that it's it's common to talk about the unconditional love of God and people go overboard with this a lot, the unconditional love of God. But we can, let's dig into this a little bit more. And there's, so there's a clarifying question that is, 
Does God love everyone the same way? What do you think? Here, I've told you about the benevolent love of God. It's unconditional. It's all the same. But does God love every person the same way? What do you mean? (laughs) Well, what I'm here to tell you this morning is that no, he does not. God's love in these cases is unconditional. And in these cases, it's conditional. So what then are the conditions? How do we... How do we discern as mature adults the conditions of these love? James 4.8 tells us this. Draw near to God, condition, and he will draw near to you. Result. You, if you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. You can kind of already see there's a condition involved in God drawing near to you. Or this one. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. All right, so now we're getting into a very important part of the Word of God where he talks about the chosen. There's a whole TV show about the chosen. God chose somebody. So are we to say that the people that God chose are loved exactly the same as people that God has not chosen? God's love for his chosen is steadfast and it's strong and it's intimate and it's holy and it's eternal. Even though no one deserves it. They don't deserve his love, that type of love at all because of their sin. He loves them in spite of those things. How does God love the sinner? Well, he loves everybody through benevolence, but there must be another type of love that he loves because there is chosen. And he loves them in spite of these things. But he does have a good cause. He does have a good rationale or a basis for his love. More on that coming later. But God's love for those who reject Jesus cannot be understood as a steadfast, strong, intimate, holy, and eternal love. Because at some point, they are going to be cast into the hellfire. All right. I've really dug myself a a platform here to go forth. So that's the question. Why should I feel special at all about God loving me? Well, let's dig into a little bit more. Let's consider the Gospel of John. You know, when he wrote in his gospel, five times he referred to himself as what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, imagine you're writing a story about another person. And every time you need to talk about yourself, you say, well, I'm the one that they loved. (laughs) I don't think John meant that he Jesus loved him more than he loved anybody else. Because he also says Jesus loved Mary and he loved Martha and he loves Lazarus and that he loved all his disciples. He also quotes Jesus as saying that anyone who follows Jesus will be loved by God and that God through Christ loves the world. And so I don't think John is necessarily excluding anybody else by saying I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. What he is saying. So why did he call himself the disciple that Jesus loved? 
He meant that Jesus' love for him, while not exclusive, nor greater than his love for anybody else, was distinctive and expressed specifically to him. So God can love Henry in an awesome, magnificent way that's expressed in a way for Henry that's different than the way that God loves Penny, even though it's the same order of love. It's the same type of love. You see, Christ loved John in a way unique from his love shown to anybody else. In other words, if you think about it, this is the best type of love that there is. This is the best way possible because you're loved specifically for you. As John was made, John understood that his love for him was in spite of every problem that John brought to the table, God still loved him. And he couldn't believe that God would love him. So he had to remark the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew he loved him all, everybody else, but he was rejoicing the fact that God chose him to love. It's a precious thing. I think John surely would have thought that Inappropriate for Peter and, and every other disciple to make the same claim. But John felt free and empowered to think of himself in this way. So we too need to be free and empowered to think of ourselves in that way. Today, each person who follows Christ, who believes in Christ, can and ought to make the same claim for themselves. If you follow Christ, say it with me. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. You ready? One, two, three. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. He loves you specifically for who you are. Now, this conviction isn't any pride, but key to understanding God's heart and key to understanding our identity as Christians. You know, there's a lot of identity confusion going on in the world today. But if we can understand the love of God explicitly and specifically for us as individuals, there's a lot of healing in that, believe me. Remember this truth. We are special because God made us and God loves us. His love is not a response to embracing the fact that we're significant. His love is the basis of our significance. See, we got to get the love comes first for us as individuals and it becomes the basis of the fact that we're significant to God. And then there's this C.S. Lewis writes in The Problem of Pain. He explains that God loves us in an individual manner. And he asked this question. Now, this is a deep question. Why else were individuals created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? Why are there 8 billion people on the planet today? 8 billion images of God. And no two of them are alike. Why are there how many species of insects 
million that are known. <laughs> okay. A million different species of insects. And then there's the unknown ones. Well, how many stars are there? Why would God make so many? And they're all different. Why would he make so many people? But they're all different. It's the best type of love there is. Specifically. For you as an individual. There's more. One of the expressions of God's love. Is something that we call compassion. Compassion is to those who are suffering or in distress. We think of it as maybe taking pity on someone who is in despair or, or, or helpless. What condition is required for God to show you compassion? What's the condition for God to show you compassion? You have to be suffering or in distress. Now, so so it becomes a kind of a general rule. Since everybody is suffering and everybody seems to be in distress, then we see God's compassion multiplied over time and time again. God's compassion to let you get your parents. The steps being taken to relieve them of their suffering and distress. Katya, same thing. How many times does God show compassion? And then there's a love of God that we call mercy. Now, mercy is different than compassion. Let's not love them together. Mercy can only be expressed to what? To sinners. (laughs) Mercy can only be expressed to sinners. People who absolutely do not deserve it. Why? Because they're guilty. Mercy acknowledges the guilt in someone that's loved but has no desire to inflict punishment due to sin. Instead, mercy seeks a way to pardon the guilty. It cannot be shown to a righteous person because they have no guilt to be pardoned. But I don't know any righteous people. So we all need mercy. The condition to receive mercy is to be a sinner chosen to receive mercy. Now the Bible tells us To this person he showed mercy. And to this person he did not. So this love of God is to. They're they're suffering. They are sinners. And they're chosen by God to receive mercy. Now mercy and compassion are not some sort of new attributes in God. Arising. Because sin exists. Before there was ever sin, God still had mercy and compassion. It's just that you you couldn't really see it yet. So one of the ways that God causes sin to work for his glory is that it, it, it lets these other attributes of God finally be known. He's a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. And then there's a love we call affection. 
Now, affection does not require a worthy object, but one of special interest to the giver of affection. Think of the prodigal son, where the father and the son, and the son demanded his share of the inheritance, and he ran off and wasted it. And yet the father had affection for him. And when the son returned, he received him back. Affection. Now, affection differs from compassion and mercy because the object may not be in distress nor sinful, but it always flows from grace. It's tied to one of three things. You already have a relationship with someone. Or it could be a known, planned, future relationship. So either the relationship already exists or it could be in the stages of coming up. Like you're getting ready to get married. There's this planned future relationship that's that's greater degree than what you have now. That affection fills that for what's going to be. Or it could be a personal dependence that, that, that causes this uh, relationship. Like creatures depending on their creator. That's a good one to think about. And then there's one called lordship or ownership, as if Christ who purchased his redeemed. So these are all out of a relationship that God shows this thing called affection. So benevolence, God's goodwill towards all creatures. No conditions. Beneficence. Beneficence. God's good action towards all creatures, no conditions. Compassion, God's pity expressed on those who are suffering. There's the, there's the condition. Mercy, God's attitude towards sinners, seeing their guilt but desiring pardon. And affection, God's special grace for relationship with unworthy objects. Have we exhausted it all? We have not. <laughs> we have not. There's still more. There is more, and you won't find this word in the scripture, but it's, it's try, the, the guys who are thinking about this deeply are trying to um, explain a, a deeper level of God's love. And it's the word that we use in English is called complacency. Now, that word has appeared in other ways, but it's not the definition I want to use. Complacency is not the definition of indifference. Complacent means I'm I'm indifferent. What What it started out by meaning was complacent was I take delight in it. Therefore, I'm satisfied. Therefore, I don't have to take any further action. Therefore, I'm okay with it. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. I'm complacent. You see how the word has kind of evolved. But the complacent love of God is one that he takes delight in. He takes true delight in. We get an idea of this love by what we value and adore as beautiful, good, or useful. This is not hard to love. This is easy to love. Think of something that's easy for you to love. It's easy for you to love your daughter, your wife. It's easy. This love is exercised only towards objects the complacent love of God in which God sees as excellent, worthy, and desirable. Excellent, worthy, and desirable. Right. 
We love the object because it's worthy of such rejoicing love. Now, the complacency exercised by God in its highest form is the love of himself. All right. Oh, what? God loves himself. The Trinity loves one another. They, they love the character of God. Because why? Because he's infinitely perfect and desirable. And he himself must be the highest object of complacent love. There's no greater love than that. If God were only one person, like Islam says, that would be the only way that that love could be shown was just a selfish love. But because of the Trinity, God's three in one, each of the separate persons of the Trinity love one another with this type of love. So there's already a love community in the Trinity that's that we find out later extends further. And that's where this complacent love of God is experienced in the highest form. God's love for his own self. But God also loves his purposes in this way. Because his purposes are just. They're wise. God's purposes are gracious. And he approves and regards his own purposes. With this complacent love. God's will. God regards his will with perfect love. Why? Because it's perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. Now, God extends this love to all of his perfect creation. Well, why is that? Well, even inanimate things that are perfectly conformed to his will and fitted to accomplish his plan. God created in Genesis and he says... And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. This complacent love of God then extends not only to himself and to his will, but to all his innocent creation and even to inanimate nature. Now, I got to be careful here because once I say it, it it extends to everything, you've got to remember this is before sin. Then God's complacent love extends to those beings who are most like himself. Having been made in his own image and likeness. An innocent angel or an innocent man. I can think of Enoch and Jesus here. Is therefore by nature a joy to God. As is the child is to the father who sees in the child his own likeness. But the guilty cannot be loved in this manner. No sinful person can receive this love of complacency so long as they reject and defy God. Another divine aspect of this love is in his eternally giving of himself to another. His sacrificial love. Think of the father's love for the son because the son gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross to fulfill God's perfect will and purpose. So we can see this love clearly in the delight and the pleasure God has for his one and only son. Jesus is the supremely beloved in whom the father is well pleased. So do you think God's love of complacency is unconditional or not? It's conditional. 
it is not shown to any and every person. But know this. This great and glorious complacent love of God that is absolutely conditional and particular is shown to every sinner who comes to Christ in faith. It is given to all elect redeemed souls in whom God delights, not because they are good, but because they are, by faith, united to and conformed to Jesus, the Father's perfect beloved. So the true faith, the true believer who's bound by faith to Jesus now receives the same love that is expressed among the persons of the Trinity. This is what we hear. Oh, God loves you just like he loves his son, Jesus. That's true. If you believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you cannot make that claim. Now, why is it? Why is faith so key? And what is it about? I mean, faith is a gift from God. It's not something we manufacture on our own. God has decreed that it is going to be by faith that all the perfect righteousness of Jesus is assigned or given over or the counting word is imputed to the believer. Can you grasp how glorious this faith is? Why the Bible says your faith is worth more than gold. Because your faith that binds you to Jesus Christ enables God to love you with this complacent love of God, which is shared among the Trinity, shared for all of God's perfect will, all of God's perfect purpose. This means that the same immeasurable love the Father has for the Son is poured into everyone who believes in the Son. It pleases God to love us in Christ because he sees us as being perfect as is his son. It takes a while to understand this. That we belong to God and have been adopted into his family. That God is pleased to love us and this satisfies us. As we experience his never ending presence and love. And Now here's the key thing. Since God knows who he has prepared for glory from eternity past, he's written your name in his book of life. God knows that already. Whether you know it or not. He loves us in this complacent love, those who believe in him, before they ever actually believe in him. It's like, you're the last to know. I mean, God's known from eternity past that he was going to save those of you that believe in Christ. And he's been loving you with that love since before the beginning of time. We were the last ones to find out how God loved us. So when I betray God, when I'm a unbeliever, but I'm one of the chosen, he's going to love me with that complacent love, even though I betray him because he knows I'm going to come to faith in him. And it explains a lot of this rationale, but how does God love people that are so unlovable? Because they're not going to be unlovable once they receive faith in Christ. He's going to change their hearts. God loves us 
For those that he has chosen, God loves them in this complacent love even before they know it. It's not something you have to manufacture on your own. (laughs) But that's why the Bible says, make sure of your salvation. Make it sure. Check your life. Are you seeing the fruit of salvation in your life? And if you aren't, repent and make sure of your faith in Christ. This is life changing to understand this. For those chosen by God, he loves them completely with complacent love, even before they feel it or realize it. And frankly, this is the only reason that they ever become saved. Because God's love draws. Honestly, that's the way people get saved. God's love from before the beginning of time draws them to himself. By their adoption in Christ, all believers receive God's steadfast love of complacency. It is the love enjoyed by Jacob, but not by Esau. Now we see how magnificent is this conditional, complacent love of God. But those who never believe in Jesus will never know this type of love. But you can share with unbelievers God's words of life. And perhaps they too will be quickened to receive the gift of faith and be united to Christ and enjoy this ultimate love of God. Now, please don't think that by sharing how great is the complacent love of God that I've diminished any of the other forms of God's love. I haven't. I didn't mean to. Think about the love shown by the Good Samaritan. What did he do? He cared for the man's needs. He was immediate help to him. He paid for the man. He accompanied the man to a place of help. He paid for the man to receive help. He told the the inn owner that whatever is charged to him, I will pay it. I'll make it right. And then he came back to check on him. That type of love, Jesus says, love everybody like that. That's a pretty good love. All I'm saying is that the complacent love of Christ is not just for this world. It's for the world to come. So Crosswave asked me some pretty deep questions. Why should I feel special about God's love? Well, you should. Because he loves you. In spite of your sin. In spite of your shortcomings and failures. He loves you. And if you will receive the gift of faith to trust in Jesus for your life and future, you will receive another measure of God's love that only those who believe in Christ know. The complacent love of God. Now, you won't find the word complacent, I don't think, in the scriptures. It's just a word that they kind of invented to try to put a label on it because people want to understand about this love. But I think if you if you read the scriptures from now on and you think, okay, is this unconditional or is this got a condition attached? And what is that condition? And you'll find the condition that's going to come down to faith in Christ. Because that's the only way that God sees us as perfect and worthy of love. 
Because in Christ, we now become desirable to God. We now become not only acceptable in the sight, but something to be pursued. But he starts pursuing us before we ever realize it. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to underestimate your love. Lord, you you love believers in the particular and specific way that you made them. You love believers just as much as you love Christ. Lord, in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, you say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And in Ephesians, Paul writes, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In John 13, Jesus knew it as this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Lord God, your love is not a one-size-fits-all. Your love is expressed uniquely for each unique person that you've created. Lord, we bless your name. But I pray that the truth of your love for us would be something that we would think about. And we would realize, Lord, that yes, you do love everyone unconditionally and you call upon us to love them with this same sort of benevolent love. But Lord, we we aspire to to be well, to be excellent in that showing of that kind of love. But we aspire to to know, Lord, this other type of love that's been spoken of here this morning. And Lord, help it to help us to make sense of the world. How we can love people who are unlovable. How we can love people who we don't think are worthy of love or they're. They're difficult to love or they reject our love. Lord, I pray that you would teach us your ways. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the these questions that were asked by these teenagers. Lord, that they're, they want to dig deep and they want to understand all of the terms and phrases they've heard growing up in church. And they, they want to see, Lord, what you're doing in the world today. Now, Lord, we do we do pray that. Um, first of all, Lord, I want to pray for the Supreme Court. And all the events of this past week. Lord, we know that there's a cultural war that's been going on and it's going to get bigger. It's going to get more fervent. And we just pray that the murder of the unborn. Could be curtailed. Lord, you're all about life. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Choose life, you tell us. Lord, just pray for those women here on Mother's Day who may have chosen abortion in the past, Lord, that you would be their healer and their deliverer and their confidence. Just pray, Father, for your forgiveness. And we pray for the different organizations and all that they stand for that are going to be put to the test. And we ask for us to be able to show love. Love to the unborn and love to the born. Lord, all, all lives matter. Even the unborn lives matter. Mothers matter. All lives matter. The unborn matter. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we ask that you call. We just call for wisdom and righteousness in our government. We ask you, Jesus, for that. And Lord, we we pray for Ukraine and the armies that attack them. Lord, our, our heart goes out to see the distress and the suffering. And so, Father, we know we know, Lord, that um, you have the power to comfort and to heal and to, and to make things right. Although we don't understand, Lord, how one nation can attack another. We, we read about it in Scripture frequently. So, Jesus, we, we just want to rest in you and pray for those that we know and and love for your protection. Jesus, you are you are our only hope. And yet you have told us that we are like a light set on a hill that we might shine forth your glory. So Jesus, have your way among us today. I want to pray this together in your holy name. Amen.